So I, th- I think it was about when I was a, a teenager that I, I came to this realization, and, and maybe it doesn't look like it all the time, but I realized I could learn from my mistakes, right? I hope that we've all figured that out by now. I, I know sometimes we make foolish decisions and we go back and repeat the same mistake over and over again. But th- I figured that out, I think it was about when I was a teenager, and around the same time, I realized I, I could actually also learn from the mistakes of others, Right? That, that's like the wiser way to learn, right? Rather than having to experience the difficulty in my own life, rather than having to you know, make foolish decisions and, and experience the consequences of those decisions, I realized that by, by observing the, the you know, sometimes foolish mistakes, not that you know, I'm wise and they're foolish, but we all make different foolish mistakes, that I could learn from the mistakes of others. And, and I don't know if you knew this, but, but the School of Hard Knocks actually gives out honorary diplomas, Like, you don't have to go to the school to get the credit. That, like, just merely by observing someone else that is taking the course, you can actually get the experience yourself. Like, secondhand experience. Right? Like, that's that's really, like, I don't know. For, like, those of you who are teenagers here, that should just, like, blow your mind. And, like, you just figure out, like, wow. Like, I can, like, learn from the mistakes of maybe my parents or my peers, right, or different people that I've seen. I don't have to live a really hard life. I don't have to make this life difficult for myself. And it was when I was, I think, about 17 years old, I started reading the Bible, and I realized that the Word of God is full of this secondhand experience, where there, there's portions of the Bible, right, that are uh, prophecy or poetry uh, or, you know, uh, teaching or doctrine, but there's other portions that are just historical text that just cover the lives or, or generations of people or nations, and it, it just talks about what they did and whether they honored the Lord and what they did, and, and then it kind of explains what happened as a result of what they did. And, and, and the Bible is full of this sort of experience in which it would take you more than a lifetime to earn the equivalent experience. Because the Bible, it's got like this long view. Because we, being uh, temporary beings here on earth, we usually have like very short-term goals in mind. But, but God, this eternal being, this God that we worship, right, he's got this long view. And, and what's neat about the Bible is it's, it's honest, it's brutally honest, where it shows the good and the bad of the, the people within the history. It, it shows, you know, even like the heroes, they don't always make the right choice, right? Even the good guys, they, they aren't always doing what's wise. And, and what's neat is that because God has this long view, you can actually see the summary of someone's entire life. Where the decisions they made when they were younger, you see the fruit of those choices Decades later. And in the Bible, sometimes it goes even beyond just one lifespan, where you can see generations affected by the choices of some individuals or by an entire culture. That, that the Bible is full of this wisdom that we can just glean off of and appreciate and enjoy, right? That, that we don't have to learn the hard way ourselves, right? That we can learn as a result of, of seeing what others have done and, and lived and, you know, have done before us. And so, so today we're actually going to be reading from a book in the Old Testament. And I actually haven't spent a lot of time teaching from the Old Testament. Usually I'll, I'll pull snippets or verses or, you know, kind of a concept or I'll summarize something. But, but today we're starting a series where we're looking at just a book from the Old Testament, one of these historical texts. And, and what I want to caution us regarding the Old Testament is sometimes we can look at the Bible and think that, well, it's in the Bible, so everything that happens in here must be like God's desire or God's will. Uh, but that's not always the case, all right? Sometimes the Bible is just simply telling you what happened. It's a description of someone's choices. It's not a prescription. It's not as though God condones every behavior that takes place in the Bible, Right? It's not as though right, it's true that what is said by individuals in the Bible, it's true that they said it, but what they say isn't necessarily doctrinally true. It's not something that you can necessarily base your life off of. Right? So the Bible is full of examples like this where there's people that are doing things and saying things that, that God himself is not excited about, but yet it's still written in Scripture for us to learn from. Right? So I, I, we need to be cautious of that. But, but there's value throughout the entire Bible, not just the New Testament. Even though there's obviously greater revelation in the New Testament, we know the fulfillment of, of God's story. But the whole Bible is God's story. 
The whole Bible just, it, it conveys who God is and what his heart is towards humanity, what his, his end desire for all people is. It also is, is our story as humans. It, it shows, right, the fact that we all, not just the people in the Bible, we all at times reject God's best plan for our lives. Right? It, it, it demonstrates the brokenness of humanity. It, de- it demonstrates our sinfulness and our need for a savior. And it demonstrates the fact that there's hope for redemption. That we are not, uh, we don't have to be slaves to the sin, right, that we obey. That we can be free. That we can experience forgiveness and salvation and eternal life with God. Right? That the entire Bible has this story throughout it. And, and, and in fact, the Bible itself says that these events, even like these Old, Old Testament scriptures, which I guess I, maybe I should specify, the Bible some, it's broken up into the Old Testament and the New Testament, kind of the, the pre-Jesus on earth documents and the post-Jesus being on earth talks about his life and then after his life on this earth. So Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, and, and the Bible itself says that everything that's written is actually for our benefit, your, yours and mine. Right? It wasn't just written down for the, the sake of the people in that culture or at that time. It's actually written for you and me. It says this in Romans 15, 4, Paul writing. He says, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, you and me. Right? That we have the benefit of what was written down. That through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So God's desire is that the entire word of God would be available to us, that we could be encouraged, right? That we would have endurance and hope because we see that the fact that some people, they make choices to pursue God's will for their lives, even in the midst of turmoil and difficulty, and we end up in the Bible seeing the fruit of those decisions. We end up seeing the fact that it pays off in the end that they made those choices. So when I see that God is faithful to keep his promises in the Bible, to all of these people that have lived before me, it gives me endurance when I'm in the midst of difficulty, right? It encourages me like, okay, like God, we've got this. Like what's on the agenda today? This is going to be awesome. Let's let's go on a God adventure. Me and you, Jesus, let's figure this out. This is going to be exciting, right? That I can have hope that God is one who keeps his promises. That's the only thing he knows how to do with promises, by the way. I don't know if you realize that. He doesn't know how to break them. He doesn't know how to lie. God is, is a true and holy God that, that keeps his word. The Bible also says, Paul wrote this to uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. I've got it up here. He says, all scripture, right? All divinely inspired words that are written in the Bible is breathed out by God, right? We do acknowledge that the Bible is written by at least 40 different authors, but it was the Holy Spirit that was inspiring what was written. It was the Holy Spirit, God himself working through them that it What was written down, what was preserved for us is what his word is, what is intended for us. So Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. That means it's good. That means it's good, all right? It's profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That means the entire Bible, not just the New Testament, but even the Old, is beneficial to you and me. Right, that it allows me to learn from it, gain wisdom from it, but it also will correct my life. Right, it will reprove me. Right, it will train me up for righteousness, that I'll make better decisions in the future. And and check this part out. This is this is so crazy. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know what that suggests? That suggests that if I don't have the Bible, if I don't have all Scripture that I will be incomplete, that I will be lacking in some way, that I will be ineffective, that I will be ill-equipped for every good work, that I will not be able to accomplish the things that God has called me to do in my life, right? Isn't that crazy to think about that? Because I know like that's not the way that even myself as a pastor, that's not the way I always think about the Bible, that's not the way I always right, treat it. I'm not like, ah, I could skip reading the Bible this morning. I'm just going to go have my bagel and coffee, right? Like, like no, no, no. Like, but if I realized I need this, that I could be complete and fully equipped for what God calls me to do, right? We would treat it completely different. So yeah, so, so like I said, some cautions when it comes to reading the Bible, all right? What, what happens in the Bible is sometimes just merely a description, not a prescription, 
right? Uh, we, we don't necessarily need to apply everything we see people doing in the Bible because, it just, like, it, like I said, it's a brutally honest book, right? It, it's not like someone went through the history of the Bible and was like, man, David, King David does not look good in this situation. Let's erase that part. Like, we don't want people to think David wasn't a good guy. No, no, no. It, it's brutally honest. And that's one thing that's valuable is you see the, the, the good choices and the failures and the mistakes of, of all of these characters, right? All of these people who actually lived. And, and, and another caution is not just to, to avoid the wrongdoing that they do, but, but recognize that al- although it's true that God is no respecter of persons, right? God doesn't play favorites, that God does keep all of his promises, that there are portions of the Bible where maybe he, he made a promise to a particular person or, or to a particular culture, or he, he gave law that was for a particular time. All right, so it's, it's valuable to be aware of that, like, just because maybe, you know, so-and-so got raised from the dead, that that might not happen in my situation, right? That might not occur exactly as happened. That, that doesn't mean that when I go down to the river and I want to cross it, that I can just, like, you know, carry some Ark of the Covenant across and God's going to make the waters part. Like, it's not guaranteed that what he did then is meant exactly for me right now. Okay, so there are general principles and promises that he does give for all of us, but just, you know, we got to kind of temper our expectation of like, well, okay, maybe that was just for that particular person he was speaking to, or just the nation of Israel. So, so just be cautious when reading kind of the Old Testament in that case. And like I said, too, there are, there are also laws in the Old Testament that were meant only for the nation of Israel, that were meant only for those people. And, and that was a conflict in the early church. They were trying to figure out, like, okay, so, like, what of this am I supposed to apply in my life right now that I'm a follower of Jesus? What does this mean? And, and we, we kind of wrestled through that uh, in Acts chapter 15. We covered that, I think, mon- months ago. You can go on our website and check out that sermon if you'd like, or, or just read Acts 15. That's what's even cooler is the Bible is just available to you guys. You don't have to wait for me to preach a sermon on it. Like, you could just go and read all Scripture, which is God-breathed for your benefit Anytime. Like, so, so don't wait till next Sunday before you open this book again. So, so just so you're aware. So, so today, so with all of that building up, today we're talking about Jonah. All right. Jonah is this prophet of God. He's someone that declares what God's heart is towards certain people, right? People that God loves, right? And, and it's a short, short book. It's on page 550 of, of our blue Bibles. If you want to grab one, uh, maybe I'll make Dan grab some for you. Just raise your hand or I don't know. I've also got them up on the screen today, or you could grab one on your way out. But it's a, it's a short book. It's only two pages. It's less than two pages, four chapters long. And we're actually, my goal today is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the whole story. All right? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to teach you what the story of Jonah is. Maybe you might remember it from Sunday school. We actually, what's cool is we even got our Sunday schoolers here today. Uh, and I think they get like a coloring activity at the end, you adults. Uh, you don't. I didn't make one for you. I'm sorry. Uh, but if you really want one, I'm sure Dan could go make copies uh, if you want to go home and color later. Um, but, but yeah, so Jonah is, is this prophet of God. It's, it's pre-Jesus, right? But in the Old Testament, we sometimes see glimpses of, of who God is. We see uh, the New Testament, the promises of God for this Messiah. We see them kind of in code or in shadows or in types in the Old Testament. And then that's more fully revealed in the New Testament. All right, and, and Jonah's this guy where, uh, where we'll kind of see his story here. I've got, like I said, comic book today. I'm going to read along so it's a little visual. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. And, and so let's just jump right into the story of Jonah. Let's, let's do this. Let's start the video and I'll try to read. Here we go. A fishy story based on Jonah. Here we go. So God sends a message to Jonah, a prophet of Israel. Go to the corrupt city of Nineveh. And tell the people, if they don't turn away from their sins, I will destroy them. Right? So that's a pretty serious thing that God said. And, and if we check out Jonah verses 1 and 2, I've got the ESV translation of that. This is what was actually written because the Action Bible sometimes like kind of shortens the story or takes some liberties or might take pieces that were later on in the story and just try to summarize it. But this is what, what God said. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Right? So God is calling Jonah, right? A prophet of God, a servant of the living God, to go to this city that is evil, that is wicked, right? That's doing wrong. And he says, listen, you got to go warn them that I'm going to destroy them, essentially. 
And in the Action Bible, they kind of like put in some hope there, like that they should turn, that they should repent so that he doesn't destroy them. And uh, there is reason for that. We'll see later on in the story that that Jonah did read that into God's decision. It wasn't just like, uh, hey, I'm going to destroy you and now I'm destroying you. Uh, Because if God just wanted to destroy the city, he could have just done it. He doesn't need someone to warn them, like give them a heads up. Like he, he wants them to change. This is an opportunity for hope. This is an opportunity for uh, forgiveness. But, but the actual word of God doesn't specify that just yet. And, and so God calls Jonah to go to this city to be an example of righteousness, to speak out against their wrongdoing, to speak out against sin. Because I don't know if you knew this, but God is not neutral on the matter of sin. Sin is something that breaks the heart of God. Because he sees the damage it does to us, it causes us pain, it causes suffering to those who are around us, and it causes separation between us and the God who loves us, right? So God is not just like neutral, like, I don't know, the city's like messing around, doing whatever they want, like, I'll just ignore them. No, 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 God cares about this city, even though it's a wicked city and is deserving of judgment, right? That's even crazier, right? But, but here we go. Let's, let's continue with the story. Let's see how Jonah responds to this. Here we go. Bam. So Jonah immediately makes his way to Joppa, a busy seaport town with ships going to all corners of civilization. There he inquires of a ship's captain. Where's this ship going? To Tarsus. Is that close to Nineveh? Uh, I'm sorry, it's the opposite direction from Nineveh. Perfect. So... Uh, having paid for his journey of disobedience, Jonah boards the ship and he says, right, he's thinking this little thought bubble there. I'm sorry, God, I can't go to such a filthy, despicable place as Nineveh. So instead of obeying God, we see that Jonah just books it in the opposite direction, right? He's like, I am out of here. I'm not interested in doing this. So what, the, what does the actual Bible say? And I think verse three, and let's see if I can pronounce this city's name. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. I can't even, like, there's too many shishes in there. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Right? He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And what's he, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. I, I'm not going to be good at pronouncing that, guys. It's just the reality. Uh, away from the presence of the Lord. So, so the sad part here is that uh, Jonah having this disagreement with God, not wanting to do what God commanded him, instead of like working that out with God, instead of like talking it through with God, instead of, you know, figuring out how to do the right thing, it doesn't just like have this disagreement. It results in him fleeing from God altogether, right? And that's often the way when God commands us to do something or when his word commands us to do something, when we don't want to do it, uh, Unfortunately, it's not like just that one issue that's affected. It ends up being like across the board. That it, it's a rift in our whole relationship. And, and this is kind of like an amusing concept. I mean, it, it, Jonah, I don't know why he thought this with the God that he serves, but he somehow is acting. It points out his motivation twice here that it was to, to flee from the presence of the Lord. Right? His motivation for this journey was, or voyage was to go away from the presence of the Lord. He's trying to get away from God. Because he doesn't want to do what God said. So he ends up running from God, which is kind of, like I said, a foolish idea because how do you run from this omnipresent God, this God who's everywhere? Like, where can I hide from God in the universe that he made? That doesn't make sense. I can't do that. That's not something that I can accomplish. And so unfortunately, he he flees from God. And, and this is something that's true ever since the beginning in the Bible, since the days of Adam and Eve, we see that that when we disobey God, that times, rather than obeying the God, the creator who loves us, we'd rather make up our own rules. We'd rather do things our own way, right? And as a result, we hide. We saw Adam and Eve hide from God, right? We see Jonah doing this. This is something that all of us do at times where we don't necessarily always want to do what God's best is for us. We don't always want to live the life that God's called us to live. And sadly, it results in us kind of temporarily or momentarily, hopefully, running from God. And that's exactly what Jonah did here. But there's hope. There's hope because God is the shepherding God. He's the good shepherd. He's going to pursue the heart of Jonah. Let's see what happens. Now, this might seem a little scary. I don't know if this has happened in your life, but let's see what happens to Jonah. 
But God isn't about to let Jonah get away from his duty that easily. He hurls a great storm at Jonah's ship. The ship is going to break apart in this wind. Throw the cargo overboard. It's our only chance. But the storm only rages on more fiercely. And let's see what happens in the actual Bible, verses 4 and 5. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the seas, and there was a mighty tempest. uh, tempest. Man, I'm not pronouncing anything right today. So that the ship was threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. So these guys, the other sailors on the ship, like these guys were not worshipers of the living God. These were just pagan dudes. They each had their own God. And they're all like, I don't know, this storm is crazy. Let's just everyone call out to your God and your God and your God. And let's see if we can solve this problem. But they don't just try spiritual attempts. It also says that they, they hurled cargo that was in the ship to lighten it for them. Right? So they, they, you know, they were also trying practical attempts, having you know, some knowledge of physics and buoyancy, I'm, I imagine. They're like, let's get rid of this too, in case our God thing doesn't work. Uh, and then, and then, but check out what Jonah does. It's gonna, he's an interesting character. Let's find out more about this guy. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. Right? That's weird. That's probably not our typical response when we think we're going to die. But as we'll see about Jonah, the sad thing about him is that his fleeing from God, his disagreeing with God actually brings him to the point of being suicidal. Right? That, that, that's what he gets to that point. So, so his sleeping here, you might just think like, wow, this guy's brave. But as we'll see later on, it's, it's actually just that he doesn't care what happens to his life. Jonah's like, listen, like, I don't even care what happens. I'm I'm fine. I can fall asleep and die. That doesn't matter to me. Right? So, but these, uh, these sailors, however, they, they aren't happy when he does that. Let's see what happens in the video here. Someone must have angered the gods. Jonah says, I, d- I don't, it wasn't me, I don't think. And uh, so, verse 6 says, so the captain came in and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Like, why are you sleeping here? Like, get up, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So he's like, hey, why aren't you like doing your fair share here? Help us out. Like, let's call out everyone to their own God. Let's continue with the video. So although Jonah knows that God is angry with him, he doesn't admit to the sailors that his disobedience is the cause of the storm. In desperation, they draw straws to find out who has angered the gods. And he says, Jonah, what did you do to anger your god so? So it turns out like they cast dice, uh, they draw straws, as they showed here. They find out that Jonah's the one at fault, right? It's, it's Jonah's fault somehow. That's probably not the strategy on how you determine blame in a situation in your life. But, but that's what they did here. Uh, and and they, they're confused. Like, Jonah, what did you do? Like, why did you anger your god? Like, you're the one that's guilty here. Let's see, verse 7, this is what they said. And, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots. So was, they were probably rolling dice or something, I'm not sure, uh, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah, right? Jonah lost the coin toss, so to speak. He drew the short straw. Next verse. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where did you come from what is your country and of what people are you? They're like, why is this happening to us? Like, what did you do? Next verse. And he said to them, and this is, this is interesting what Jonah claims about himself. He says, I'm a Hebrew, right? I'm, a, I'm from the tribe of Israel, right? I'm, I'm from this people. I worship, I worship, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. That Jonah's like, he, he, he claims he fears the Lord, but obviously his actions in fleeing from the Lord, he's not fully respecting who God is. Verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So like for these guys outside looking in, they're like, wait a minute. So you serve the God who made everything, the God who lives in heaven and made the sea and the land and you angered that guy? Like, my God that I serve doesn't even, like, isn't even that powerful. He's like the God of the sheep or something. But, like, you serve that God and you made him angry? Like, what is wrong with you? Like, why would you anger that God? That doesn't make any sense to us, right? So these guys are now really afraid because they realize that the God he serves would have authority 
to bring this storm upon the sea. Let's see what, what Jonah says. So what did you do to anger your God so? And Jonah says, nothing. And I intend to keep it that way. I'd sooner die than do what God has asked me to do. Just throw me overboard to my death and then God will let your ship go. Right, so that's probably not what your response would have been. But like I said, Jonah's got some sort of emotional problems going on here. Verses 11 and 12 in the actual Bible says, Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may qu- the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more, let's see if I get this word, tempestuous. I think I got it. I listened to it online earlier. I had to make sure I got it right. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me this great tempest has come upon you. Uh, The sailors, by the way, weren't happy to hear this. Let's see what happens next in the story. So they're not just going to like throw him into the water just yet. But the sailors don't want to throw Jonah into the sea. They They try to row back to land, but the sea gets even more rough. We'll never make it. It's getting worse. We have no choice. We'll have to throw Jonah overboard. Lord, don't be mad at us for throwing this man into the sea. Right? So they're reluctant in their action, but they feel like, hey, this is what Jonah said to do. We tried to do it some other way, but this seems to be our only option. Verses 14 through 16, it says, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Right? Don't let us die because of his guilt. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. Right? They're like, listen, like, God, you seem to have some issues with him. Like, just let us out of this. Uh, Can you just deal with him directly? And and we don't want to be guilty for throwing him into the ocean to his death. Uh, So they picked Jonah up and hurled him into the sea. So let's... Let's see what happens. Do you guys, have you heard this story before? Anyone remember this from Sunday school? Here we go. Let's, let's see the video here. Maybe, maybe this is going to be a surprise for some of us. L- look, what is that thing? I don't know. What is it? And Jonah assumes he will drown, but God doesn't intend to let him off the hook that easily. Lord, help me. And as we see the next verse, it says, verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Yeah, uh, the King James Version in Matthew 12, referring to this story, does call it a whale, uh, but it's probably in the fish category. Uh, We'll talk more about that in coming weeks. But yeah, so you might be like, all right, Brian, I think you lost me here. But keep, let's keep going. Let's keep going, all right? We serve a miraculous God. By the way, he made all of the fish. He made the sea. He made everything. He has the authority to do that. So let's see what happens. The moment the sea monster swallows Jonah, the storm calms. At this, the sailors give praise to God, who they now know commands all of nature. So the fact that these guys have seen right, the storm come in the first place, now the storm calm, and, and the fact that the, God had this fish come at just the right time to like swallow Jonah up before he drowns, they're like, okay, like, maybe Jonah's God has got something going on for him. Let, let's pray to this God. Like, let's forget our other gods because they weren't helping us in the storm anyway. Uh, so they start worshiping God. It says this in verses 15 and 16. And the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So they're like, listen, let's worship this God. Like, I'm committing my life to serve Jonah's God, even though Jonah didn't. I think I should. Like, I think that'd be a good idea for for my life. And so let's find out what happens. This is still not the end of Jonah. Let's continue with the video. Here we go. All right, this is maybe kind of gross looking. Who knows? Uh, But Jonah is not dead. God keeps him alive inside the giant fish for three days and three nights. This gives him lots of time to think and pray and maybe realize how arrogant it was to disobey his Lord. Lord, I called out to you and you saved me. The waters were all around me, but you kept me safe. You are the one who saves. Right, so Jonah has this change of heart here. We're actually going to read through Jonah's prayer uh, in its entirety. And uh, I'll try to keep you guys up to speed with what, what some of this means. So then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying this, 
I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Sheol just is like a Hebrew word for the grave, right? So he's like, he felt like he was on the brink of death. Uh, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. Your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet, here's some hope in his prayer, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed over me to take my life. The, the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, which I think is a funny idea of like seaweed just being wrapped around him or something. But uh, he said this, at the roots of the mountain, right? I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I, what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, remember what Paul said in Romans. He said that this story, all scripture, is written for our instruction. So this experience that Jonah's having, this isn't just like a documented piece of right, Jonah's life. This is for you and I. God preserved this in the Bible for us to learn from. And one of the things that Jonah realizes, right, well, one, God's, uh, you know, not happy, it seems, regarding his disobedience, but God does, he refuses to give up on this prophet that he loves. Even though he's this disobedient prophet, he refuses to give up on this guy. And that, that God is interested in shepherding Jonah's heart, taking all of these circumstances in his life to draw him back to the heart of God, right? That's what God does. And Jonah comes to this conclusion, which is a true conclusion in what he says. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord, or that, that the Lord is the one who saves. And this is the God of the Bible. This is the God of the Bible throughout the whole Bible. This is what we see, that God, he, he portrays his character in this little glimpse in this story, that he is the God who saves. That when we as humans betrayed him, when we rebelled against him, when we go to do things our own way, he is the God who still pursues us while we were yet his enemies. And that he's the one that salvation is of the Lord. It's not something that we can do ourselves. And let's check out verse 10. It says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited or spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. So once again, God has authority over all of the earth, right? He could tell this fish what to do, where to go, and gave it GPS, like, hey, bring Jonah over here, spit him up. And I think it's interesting, like, if, if Jonah was just giving this fish an upset tummy, uh, the fish would have just, like, thrown up anywhere in the ocean, uh, or they were probably in the Mediterranean Sea, actually. Uh, the, the fish could have just thrown up anywhere, but God, against this fish's instincts, has it go to dry land and spit him up on dry land, which I think is pretty cool. So God has authority over all of creation. Let's check out the video. And they take some liberties with their design for this sea monster fish. Uh, let's see what it looks like. God hears Jonah's prayer and makes the fish spit him up on dry ground just outside Nineveh. Now do what I have commanded. Once again, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. This time Jonah obeys. Turn away from your sin, or the whole city will be destroyed. This is what God says. And when God does punish you, you uh, punish you like you deserve, don't say, I didn't warn you. Now, what's interesting about Jonah is he's this disobedient, reluctant prophet. He, his heart is not even right in this moment. He does not have the heart of God for this people, this city that God loves and cares for, even though they do deserve judgment. But he does not have the heart of God, right? Jonah's like a little bit too excited about their destruction. Uh, yet God, this sovereign God, this good God who loves us, God uses broken people like Jonah. God uses broken people like me and you to accomplish his plan on this earth, right? That, that's how God works. That's how God's kingdom is proclaimed to all people. He uses broken people like me, right? That's how God works. And it, it, like, this is a tremendous example of God's grace, Right? God's, he didn't choose to use right, some angel to declare to the city. God didn't just declare to the city with some booming voice or right in the stars of the sky like, hey, Nineveh, look out. Right? Like, he uses 
this broken prophet, this reluctant prophet to accomplish his will, even though he's not doing it with the right heart. Like, that's crazy. So yeah, check out Jonah uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. He finally obeys, right? That's a good idea. Uh, According to the word of the Lord. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth. Uh, other translations say like it takes three days to kind of get your, make your way around to visit the whole city. And so Jonah began to go into the city a day's, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now that's probably a summary of what Jonah had said, uh, especially as we see the response of the people of Nineveh. He gave some more description than just that, because I don't think like, like if someone just came through Wilmington shouting that, you'd be like, what was that guy? Like, why should I believe him? Uh, so I think Jonah gave some, some further detail. But let's see what happens, because Jonah's going to be surprised at the response of the people of Nineveh. Let's check the video. But to Jonah's shock and dismay, the people actually listened to him. To show how sorry they are, they put on black clothes, even the king. This is a royal order. Call out to God with all of your hearts. Stop doing evil, then God might take pity on us. And God sees that the people of Nineveh have turned away from their sin. Then true to his holy word, he does not destroy them after all. Right, so, so Jonah's kind of surprised uh, that they have this change of heart because Jonah's like, no, 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 these people are going to get destroyed. This is going to be awesome. I can't wait to see this. This is going to be like a Michael Bay movie. I can't, this is going to be great. And, and uh, the people of Nineveh repent. The people of Nineveh, they turn. They, they turn back to God, right? And actually, Nineveh wasn't even a, a city that was in Israel. Nineveh was likely an Assyrian city, and the Assyrians were pagan people that didn't care about God and actually even later on, I think, destroyed Israel in the future. But, but God still cares about these people regardless. God loves these people. Check out verse, verse 5 through 10. This is the kind of repentance that the city went through, which uh, this probably isn't how you would say sorry when you're wrong. Like you won't see this written in like a Hallmark card when you're like apologizing to someone. Uh, husbands, I don't think this would work with your wife when you're sleeping in the doghouse. But check out what they did to say sorry. This is their outward uh, show of repentance. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They, they stopped eating, all right, uh, and put on sackcloth. So they're wearing like potato sacks, rough clothing that's not comfortable. Uh, from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Once again, probably not how you'd apologize to someone. It's an outward sign of repentance from that time period. Verse 7, and he issued a proclamation and published through uh, uh, Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I think it's like this city was really sincere in their apology. Like they were like, my dog isn't even going to eat today. Like, my dog is going to wear this, like, yeah, uh, maybe you didn't realize this, but people who dress up their dogs, they existed in the Bible back then, too. Like, right? So, like, they, he, like they're decorating their animals in the sackcloth. Like, everyone's sorry. God, like, forgive us. Like, and I think more so than the outward uh, sign of repentance, right, God is moved by the fact that, they, right, the king says, listen, like, turn from your evil ways. Turn from the violence that's in your hand. Like, the city of Nineveh, they knew that they were in the wrong. Like, they knew they were not admirable people. They knew that they were a violent city that deserved the, the judgment of this righteous and holy God. And check out verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So, so God, here's another big theme, big idea about God. God is one who relents from disaster. 
God is one that is not excited about destruction. We talked about that last week even, right? You might remember we talked about that, that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Or we, I, I, don't, I'm, I won't make you quote the memory verse we tried last week, but 2 Peter 3, 9, right? That the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. You, you just mumble along, maybe you could pretend, uh, right? But is, is patient towards us, right? He's patient towards us, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to reach repentance, to turn from our sin, right? That's what God's desire is. He's not one who's excited about judgment. And we see in the Old Testament, we see this glimpse of God's heart, right? We see who God is, that he's one that he doesn't want to destroy people, even though we deserve it, right? He doesn't want to do that. He wants us to turn to him. That's what God takes pleasure in. So, so Jonah's perhaps surprised at the city's response to his message, but he's not surprised by God's response. Let's see what happens next to your joy. So Jonah does not take God's change of heart very well. I should have known Even when people are scum and deserve to die, you show them mercy, Lord. Just kill me if this is the kind of work you're going to ask me to do. So Jonah is not excited. Let's see uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Right? He was angry about this. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Right When I was way back home, when you first asked me to go to Nineveh, apparently Jonah had said it all the way back then. This is what he said, right? That this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, right? Okay. Uh, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So, uh, so Jonah is angry that the city is not going to be destroyed, right? He's upset. And he's like, God, this is why I was upset to begin with. This is why I didn't want to go to tell them, because I know you're a forgiving God. And that's probably something that like, you might think, that's a weird thing to be mad at God about. Uh, when it comes to our own sin, we are really excited how merciful our Lord is. Right? But when it comes to someone who we like, I can't wait for God to smite you. Like, I'm not pointing at anyone in general, just so you know. Right? But, but like, right, we kind of want to see God's judgment fall on someone, and then we might be almost disappointed when God shows them mercy. But notice, once again, Jonah gives us a glimpse of the heart of God. He says that you are a, a gracious God. I don't know if we can go back there for us, right? You, you are a gracious God. Grace is when God gives us a good thing, gives us a blessing that we did not earn nor deserve. He says that you're a merciful God. Mercy is when God withholds punishment that we do deserve, right? So God is both gracious and merciful. He says that God is slow to anger, right? That's good news, right? God does get angry, but it takes him a long time to get there. So, so it's best for you and I to make the wise choice to turn to God when we have opportunity before he gets to that point, right? God is is very slow to anger, and he's abounding in steadfast love. God has an abundance of love for you and I, right? God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us while we were yet his enemies, right? That's the kind of God that we serve, and he says that he is one who relents from disaster, that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked is the idea. And then Jonah's really mad at God, and I love God's response. Check this out, verse four, if we can get there. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Like God's just like, hey, how's that anger working out for you, Jonah? Like, is that, is that working out for you well? I mean, like, you're really upset right now. How's that working out for you? And like, I just love God's response because, well, for one, perhaps it's a character defect in me. I find angry people funny, <laughs> which isn't helpful in those situations when I might be the victim of their anger, where I might just like start giggling at what, but, uh, but nonetheless, I find this amusing, like that God's like, listen, like your anger is not producing anything good here. Like really, you want to die again? Like this doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah, I am a merciful God, right? I, I am abounding in steadfast love. And so the video you'll see here that what, God, uh, what Jonah decides to do, he, he ends up going outside of the city, Right, he goes out to this desert place, 
right? And he just like sets up shop and, and he's, he's waiting to see the city destroyed. He's like, maybe I still get a chance at some fireworks here. This, this might be cool. So, so check out verses four and uh, five, sorry, chapter four, verse five. But Jonah went out of the city and sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there. So he's got like a seat and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So he's, he's like, all right, here we go. Like, I, sure, they repented, but maybe God's still going to destroy them anyway. Maybe he's just going to be like, psych, and then like, boom, you know, like, I don't know. Uh, but verse six, now the Lord God appointed a plant. Check this out. This is the authority of God that we see. He doesn't just control the storms and the fish. He appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant, right? Jonah's like, he seems like a little bit fickle and an emotional person. uh, And he gets like super excited about a plant that's giving him shade. But check out what happens. Verse seven, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die again. Like I lost count how many times Jonah said this, but he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Let's check out the video. The last, last couple slides here, I think. And so God scolds Jonah for his attitude. He says, you're always willing to die, you and your pride, but there are 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh, and I desire that they have the chance to live, right? So, so that's what God ends up telling Jonah, and as we see in verses 9 through 11, God allowed this plant to grow, this worm to come, this east wind and the sun, right, to, to make this inconvenient for Jonah. He did it all for a reason. It says, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry with the plant, Right? Like you're all upset that this plant grew and was shade and then now it died. Right? You're all upset about that. And, and Jonah, I love this response, like the tantrum that he's having. Yes, I do do well to be angry. Yeah, it is working out for me. I'm angry enough to die. Right? Like I'm, I'm perfectly good being angry, God. Thank you for asking. Like, right? He's still like so small-minded in his world right there. And, and this is what the Lord said. He teaches him a lesson. He says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. That is a fast-growing plant. I think that's like quicker than bamboo. That's probably another... I think we could chalk that up to another miracle for God in the Bible. Uh, And verse 11, and this is what he says. So Jonah pities the plant, and he says, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left, right? These people don't even know right from wrong, essentially, and also much cattle. So that, that's, that's the conclusion of the book of Jonah. That's all we get. Like, that's all we see about this life that Jonah led. And, and this is what God concludes with. That, that our God, right, the lesson that we can take from this story is that our God is a compassionate and loving God. Right? That even on this city that deserves judgment, he shows compassion. Right? And even with a reluctant, disobedient servant like Job, God shows compassion on Job. And shepherds his heart back to him. And Jonah is likely, he's traditionally viewed as the author of this story, or maybe as he's a little bit older and a little bit cooler headed, uh, he kind of writes down about maybe some of his previous experience and is like, hey, this is how I was. These were the things I was saying. Uh, this is what I experienced. I mean, he was the only witness that was there in the belly of the fish. So I'm, I don't think the fish wrote the book. Uh, I think Jonah did. But, but this is the idea, is that we can look at the lives that people lead in the Old Testament. We can take wisdom from it. And that's what I plan on doing over, over the next few weeks. I, I just wanted to cover the entire story today so that we could kind of get an idea of it. And I'm going to pull some themes out of it for the rest of this series is my goal. And I want to point this out to you, right? Just like we have our lives, we're, we're short-term thinking, right? We're, we're just thinking about ourselves in this life right now. We're not thinking the long term, that God sees your and my life from beginning to end, right? God knows what the best decisions are for our lives, right? That God desires that we would make wise choices, right? God, it says in Deuteronomy, right, to, to choose life, right? That God wants to bless us. God wants us to, to do the right thing because it's for our benefit and for our blessing. And this story is also written for our benefit, 
So, so we see that God loves Jonah even though he's reluctant, right? So we can take away that God loves you and me even when we are running from God and disobedient and do not want to do things his way. But God, the good shepherd that he is, he pursues us and, and brings us back to him. So this is what I would ask, right? Whenever you're thinking about this story, whenever you're reading a story in the Old Testament, to think about your life, right? As the worship team comes up, uh, think about your life. Don't, don't live a life of foolishness. Don't live a life of regret. Don't make decisions that you're going to be ashamed of later, right? Make choices that will be wise. And it says this in, in Galatians 6, which is just an interesting verse regarding wisdom. <clears throat> it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows or, or plants, what, right, planting a garden, whenever you plant, right, that will he also reap. That's the thing that you will harvest in return. And this is what it says. For the one who sows to his own flesh, oh, go back for a minute there, sorry. Uh, we're good, we're good. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, right? That when we do things our own way, when we're seeking our own sinful desires, our own nature, right, we reap a harvest. Things happen in our lives that are not going to be for our end benefit. But the one who sows to the Spirit, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And then it gives us an encouragement. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Right? So that's God's desire, that we all would live lives of wisdom, that we would do the right thing, that we would then receive the blessing of our choices, that we don't make foolish decisions because, like it says, God is not mocked. Those decisions will have consequences. Yeah, we can be forgiven, but there's still sometimes consequences of our choices on this earth that, that aren't always fully reconcilable, that aren't fully restorable, right? And God can still do great and awesome things in our brokenness and use our stories to bring healing to other people's lives, but it's way better to learn the lesson from the mistakes of other people and experience an even more blessed life by making the wise choices now. So, so let's pray before we go into worship. Heavenly Father... <coughs> We thank you so much for your goodness. Uh, we thank you that you are the good shepherd, that the sheep hear your voice, Lord God, that the sheep do the things that you ask, Lord. And we ask that you would shepherd our hearts. The areas in our lives where we are uh, disobedient or reluctant, God, where we continue to, to kick against you or the plan that you have for us, God, I ask that you would soften all of our hearts right now that you would draw us closer and closer to you, that you would make us more and more like you. I thank you, Lord, that you've preserved your word, that you wrote your word down for us, and that all of Scripture is, is beneficial to us. It's profitable to us. And so, God, we ask that your word would produce uh, change in us, that it would produce hope in us. It would give us endurance and encouragement, Lord God. And that, Lord, where need be, that your word would bring even correction to our hearts. And we thank you that, Lord, you are interested in, in equipping us for every good work and making us complete when it comes to the lives that you've called us to live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.